Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. What's up, Christ Walk? Happy New Year. First Sunday of 2020. We have made it. Hope everybody had a good Christmas. Everybody had a good, um, a good New Year's celebration. And I'm excited about being here this morning. Um, We are kicking off a brand new series today. Yeah, that was a little bit creepy. And what we're talking about um, can be kind of scary. So... Uh, um, if, if, it's, if it's not dealt with and not, not addressed. And so uh, I, I do want us to, to go ahead and jump in this morning. If you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, I wanna invite you to turn with me uh, or swipe with me to the New Testament, to the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, actually the second letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians, and we're gonna be in chapter seven. So in case you're unaware, the Bible's divided into these two large sections of scripture at the beginning of the Bible towards the front. You've got the Old Testament. The second big section of scripture is the New Testament. And the apostle Paul, he wrote approximately half of that New Testament um, in various letters to churches and people groups um, around the known world at the time. And so we're gonna find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter seven, starting with verse eight in just a minute. So as we said, we're kicking off a brand new series today uh, called Creature of Habit, where over the next several weeks, We're gonna be talking about changing our old ways to become the new person that God wants us to be. And I can't think of a better way to kick off a brand new year than with a series of this type. And I'm believing that this series over the next few weeks is gonna help us to set the tone for what God wants 2020 to be for all of us. And I'm believing along with you that 2020 is going to be the best year yet for our church and for its people. Amen? Amen. So let me be clear right off the bat, this is not going to be a series about committing to attend church more regularly or spending more time reading your Bible or, or praying or fasting or anything like that. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All of those things are incredibly important and they are absolutely integral to the life of a believer in Jesus, one that is growing in their relationship with Christ. So I would encourage you definitely This year, make church attendance and being a part of a small group, like make that a priority in your life. If if you're looking to take some next steps in your relationship with Jesus, jump into the 21 days of prayer and fasting with us. You can find out all of that information on our website on how you can be involved in a group, how you can be involved in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Definitely get involved in those things, but that's not what this series is about. See, all of those things, they're focused on some some outward behaviors or actions, but for the majority of this series, we're going to focus on some internal beliefs and behaviors that need to be addressed in order for us to leave our old way of life behind and step into the new life that Christ has called us toward. And so if you're taking notes, and I would highly recommend that, especially for this particular series, the the foundation of this collection of messages or talks 
for the next several weeks is going to stem from a single verse in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17, where he writes, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And this verse is very significant for those of us that have placed our hope and trust in Jesus. I realize that there may be some people with us this morning. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you haven't gotten to that place yet, and that's okay. Christ's walk is a place that you don't have to believe to belong. But for those of us that have already placed our hope, our faith, our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, this verse means everything. Because it means that once we've stepped into that belief in Jesus, that the person that we used to be ceases to exist and that we become an entirely new person. See, a lot of people think that that God just cleans up the old us, but that's not what happens. He doesn't just just clean up the old way. He, He totally transforms us into a brand new creature, something completely and totally different. But the problem is that for a lot of us, when we step into a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't feel like that old way of life goes away. In fact, for many people, that old way of life kind of lingers around like that stray cat that you made the mistake of feeding one time. And then now, no matter what you do, you can't get it to leave the back porch. You know what I'm talking about? And and the the frustration for most people is that all of the difficult stuff in their lives isn't magically fixed the minute they surrender their life to Jesus. But I want to tell you here this morning what I've heard a pastor friend of mine tell his congregation, and it's simply this. We need to give God as much time to fix our lives as we've given the devil to mess it up. And it's so true. A lot of us, we'll we'll give the devil 20 years to make a mess of things, and then we want God to fix it all in 20 minutes. And when it doesn't happen, we're like, well, Christianity is a sham. You know, I tried. It just didn't work for me. And then we move on to the next thing. But that is not what it means to follow Jesus. Life is in Christ isn't some shortcut or quick fix remedy to all of our problems. It is a process. And the key to walking through this process is not that we have to be our very best today. It just means that we have to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we were today. And every single day we take one more step, put one more foot forward towards the cross of Christ. But can I be honest with everybody here this morning? Like, on paper, that sounds great, but in reality, that's really, really hard. Like, to, to be better today than I was yesterday. And, and, and sometimes growing in our relationship with Jesus and becoming the person that, that he's calling us to be, it can be quite a grind, And the reason it's so difficult is because of one tiny little word that makes a big, gigantic difference. And that word is S-I-N, sin. 
Paul described it this way in his letter to the Romans in chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, when he wrote, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I wonder, is there anybody here that can relate just a little bit to what Paul is talking about there? Like, is there anyone here that feels the tension that comes along with wanting to be the, God, the person that God has called us to be, but feeling like no matter what we do, that our enemy, the devil, just keeps winning? We find ourselves in the middle of this tug of war being pulled back and forth, back and forth. I know that that's how I feel quite often. And so for the next few weeks together, we're going to talk about how we might be able to finally lay that old, scary, nasty, sick, and diseased person of our past to rest with its desires and thinking and way of life so that we can become the new person that God has made a way for us to be. And so for the next few minutes today, I would like to talk to you about exchanging our habit of regret for a new habit of repentance. Exchanging our habit of regret for a new habit of repentance. It was earlier this year, towards the beginning of the school year, that I was taking Avery to school one morning and I was running late and I had an appointment to get to and, and she was late getting out the door and was trying to scramble to get her lunchbox and her backpack and everything together and we're trying to hurry along as, as parents with young kids often do in the mornings and, and we're trying to make our way and get there and I'm trying to get to the next thing but to be sure that she's getting off to school okay and that everything's taken care of and, and I was just a little bit frazzled and, and so I got to the school and I pulled up into the drop-off loop and dropped Avery off, and I, I got to the end of the loop, and, and um, uh, there's, there's a sign right there on the fence that says, no left turn. But there's a whole lot of traffic that way to the right that I was getting ready to get into. There wasn't anything going on back here to the left, and so I thought... I'm just gonna, I, I, I got places to be, I got things to do. And so I turned left, and no sooner did I, than I did that than blue lights showed up in the rear view mirror. And now, this wasn't my first foray into the realm of blue lights in the rearview mirror. This is something that over the course of my driving privileges that I've experienced, we'll just say a number of times. But yet I found myself in the car on the side of the road, sitting there rationalizing all of the reasons why I should have been able to make that left turn and not had to pay any kinds of consequences. I mean, after all, there was no one coming. No one was in any sort of danger. It didn't hurt anybody. And after all, I've seen a number of people before then and since 
make that left turn out of there and not get pulled over at all whatsoever. And I'm like, where are the cops when you need them, right? In fact, before I had even made a left turn out of there, ignoring the no left turn sign many times before and gotten away with it, but not this time. So I'm sitting there and I'm frustrated and I'm aggravated and somebody from the church drives by (laughs) and sees me. And you know, sin is a lot like that. Sin says, I'm just gonna take this shortcut. Sin says, it's gonna be fine. It's not gonna hurt anybody. It'll feel good. It'll, it'll help you get what you need, where you need to be. It's no big deal because sin operates on the core foundation of gratification, instant gratification. And if, if sin didn't have this element of gratification that came along with it, you and I, we would never be tempted to do it. But sin, along with this core element of gratification, it causes us to buy into the lie that something other than God and his way is able to satisfy us in our lives. The truth is that maybe not immediately, but inevitably, sin always has consequences. Always It will always provide setbacks. The setbacks that were caused that day were not only was I late that day, not only did I have to wait forever for that officer to decide what ticket he was going to write me and to bring my license back so that I could get on my way, but then I had to go to the courthouse two different times. I had to pay a fine. I had to spend four hours of my day one day online in traffic school. Nobody wants to do that. It cost a lot of money, and I had to endure the embarrassment of being the rebel law-breaking pastor (laughs) and some gentle ribbing from one of the people here at the church. And I've seen some other people laughing, so maybe that story has gotten out beyond just that one person. I'm not pointing any fingers. Here's what I learned, and here's what this story illustrates. The result of sin is always regret. The result of sin is always regret. And to clarify, when, when I'm talking about sin, I'm not just referring to the big three, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's not what I'm talking about here. There are a number of things that our enemy will use to lure us away with the promise of joy and peace and satisfaction. And so when, when I'm talking about sin this morning, I'm talking about anything in our lives that causes us to do things our own way instead of doing them God's way. And the problem with us doing things our own way is that at some point, somewhere down the line, it's going to stop working. And whenever it does, not only is it going to cause us pain and us embarrassment, but often it causes pain and embarrassment for the people that are around us. So hear this. It may take five weeks, five months, five years, five decades. 
But eventually, by you choosing to live life your own way instead of God's way, you will always arrive at a place of regret. Always. And when most people find themselves at that kind of place, they often become emotional, humble, teachable, and willing to consider nearly any other option that may work for them. In fact, that's how a lot of people come to know Jesus as saviors because they find themselves in a position where all of their world has come crashing down around them and they've realized that they can't do it their own way anymore and so they reach out for a different way of doing things. We rarely come to Christ in the middle of life's high points, but instead... It usually happens when we're at our lowest point. We feel awful about the things that we've done and the way that we've been living and where our life is at at the moment. But can I just tell you that that's a picture of God's grace at work. That you and I, no matter what we've done, we are never too far gone for God to love and accept us and bring about redemption. But the difficulty with all of that is when we feel bad about how things are going in our life, it can be hard to know whether or not we're truly repentant when we come before God or if we're just simply looking for a means of reprieve from our regret, from feeling bad. The good news is, though, that the Bible gives us some insight into how we can tell the difference between regret and repentance in order to develop a habit of the latter versus the former. Paul writes about that in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 7. He talks about regret and repentance and kind of pits them against each other. And so starting there in verse 8, We read together, and my Bible reads this way. It says, this is Paul writing, and he says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, The beginning of that passage in verse 8, it can be a little bit confusing because Paul is talking about this severe letter that he wrote to the people in Corinth. And to be quite honest, there's, there's quite a bit of scholarly debate around what this letter actually is or was. Some scholars believe that he's just talking about 1 Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote to them. Other people believe that it's actually chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 of 
the book of 2 Corinthians, that letter, that, that that was actually a separate letter that was written to the people in Corinth and that, that they added it on to the end of the second letter to make one whole letter together. And that's what he's referencing. Others believe that this severe letter could have been one of a possible two other letters that Paul wrote to the people at Corinth that were not included in the final biblical canon because somewhere along the way, the manuscripts were lost. But regardless of whatever that letter was, it was clear that Paul had written in some capacity to reprimand the believers in Corinth for their lifestyle choices after their belief in Christ. They were still living the old way, the old man, the old life, and they had yet to step in to becoming the new creation that was afforded them in Christ. And so this is what Paul is referencing when he writes to them. In verse 9, Paul says, I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. That lets us know that our pain is purposeful. Our pain is purposeful. None of us like to experience pain, but there is purpose in our pain. We've heard the old adage, no pain, no gain. And that's ultimately what Paul is saying here. He's saying there, there was, there's a reason for you to feel the pain that you feel because you're still trying to live the old way of life. And that pain that you felt, it's driven you towards repentance. Pain leads us to Repentance. And when we, when we use that word repentance, what it, it literally means to, to turn away from or to, to make a, a 180, an about face, and to go the other direction. Now, here's the crazy part of this passage. At the, at the end of verse 9 and at the beginning of verse 10, Paul says that God wants us to experience sorrow. And at first glance, when you first read through that, like that really, that doesn't sound like a very godly characteristic, right? Like, like God wants me to experience sorrow. He wants me to hurt. He wants me to feel pain. He wants me to, to feel bad. And so the question is, is if this is true, then, then why does God want this to happen? Why, why does God want his people to experience Sorrow. The reason is, is because sorrow is what happens when we find out that the thing that we've put our trust in outside of God is never going to satisfy us. And the truth of the matter is, is that stuff like going through a divorce or losing a job or having to file for bankruptcy or getting arrested or whatever, those for sure are all painful situations but God will often use things like that in our lives to, to grab a hold of us and to get our attention. He will, he will allow experiences like that to happen so that you and I will be able to come to the realization that, that fame and fortune and influence and sex and power and the like, that they cannot save us and that they eventually will let us down. Because the truth is, only God can save us. And he is the only constant that will never, ever fail us or never, ever let us down. 
But even though God wants us to experience the sorrow that comes along with our sin, he's never going to rub our noses in our sin. But he will allow us to take a long, hard look at sin so that we can understand why we need to be saved from it. And Paul says, godly sorrow leads us away from sin and toward salvation. We're allowed to experience this type of pain, this type of sorrow in our life, not because God is wanting to destroy us, but because he's wanting to develop us so that we can become the person that he has called us to be. But Paul says there's something different than this godly sorrow. There's also worldly sorrow that he talks about in verse 10. And worldly sorrow is feeling bad, not because of our actions, but because we simply got caught. And this kind of sorrow, Paul says, it results in death. And a lot of us, we get caught up in this kind of vicious cycle. We sin, we regret it and feel bad. We come to God and we say, we're so sorry. And then that temporary feeling wears off and we sin and we regret it and feel bad and we come back to God and say that we're sorry and the feeling wears off and we sin and we regret it and feel bad and we come to God and we say that we're sorry and on and on and on. And as soon as that temporary feeling of our regret wears off, we simply fall back into that old way of living and thinking and doing and being. Here's the fact of the matter. Jesus didn't die so that we could just feel better about our lives. Jesus came to die so that you and I could live a whole new life altogether. Something completely and totally different and separate from the life of sin that you and I were born into. But as long as we continue to buy into the lie that our way is best, we will always live a life that is full of the regret that comes with being stuck in our cycle of sin outside of the fullness of life that Christ has to offer. If we choose to live our lives based on regret, then our behavior will always be determined by the consequences. If there aren't any consequences, then that negative behavior will just continue. And if there are consequences, then as soon as those consequences fade away, the negative behavior will come creeping back in. Just like after that ticket that I got faded into the distance, I started to drive a little bit faster a little bit freer. I started to break a little bit harder. I started to maybe not pay such close attention to the no right turn or no left turn. You guys know what I'm talking about. The further away that we get from the consequences, the easier it is for that old way to start slipping back in. And this is precisely what Paul is talking about in this passage. What he's saying is, you and I, we've got a choice. We can either be a person of regret, 
or we can be a person of repentance, but we can't be a person of both. So we have to choose. Are we gonna live our lives in such a way that develops the habit of regret and the cycle of sin over and over and over? Are we going to be the kind of person that develops the habit of repentance? In order for us to understand what that looks like, uh, uh, we, we really need to understand the difference between regret and repentance and what both of them have to offer. So here's five things to give you the difference between regret and repentance and some key words. If you're taking notes, write these down. Difference between regret and repentance. Number one, regret is driven by our feelings. Regret is driven by our feelings, and the key word there is guilt. But repentance is driven by God's forgiveness. The key word there is grace. Regret is driven by our feelings, guilt. Repentance is driven by God's forgiveness, grace. Second difference between regret and repentance is that regret chafes our heart. Like, think of like rubbing sandpaper or cheese grater over it, right? It's irritating. And the key word there is hurt. Regret chafes our heart, hurt. But repentance changes our heart. The key word there is healing. It makes us different. It makes us whole. It brings about healing in the broken down places of our soul. So regret chafes our heart with hurts. Repentance changes our heart through healing. The third difference between regret and repentance is regret is the condemnation of our prior choices. But repentance is the catalyst for our future changes. Regret is the condemnation of our prior choices choices, but repentance is the catalyst for our future changes. And the key word here is where we place our identity. If our identity is in regret, then our identity is in our past. But if our identity is based on repentance, then the key word is potential, who we can be, who God is making us to become. We're not there yet, but that's where we're headed. We're not, our identity isn't based on what we've done. It's not based on our past. It's, it's based on our potential. Fourth difference between regret and repentance. Regret focuses on what I've done. Keyword there is sin. Regret focuses on what I've done, my sin. But repentance focuses on what Christ has done for me, salvation. Regret says it's all about me and how I've fallen short. Repentance says it's all about Christ and how he's filled in the gap. The fifth difference between regret and repentance is that regret leads to a funeral, to death. But repentance leads to freedom. Life. Regret leads to a funeral, the key word being death. But repentance leads to freedom, 
keyword being life. So the question is, which one of those people do you want to be? What habit do you want to develop in 2020? You want to continue the old way, going back to the old man, the old well of regret? Or do you want to step into the new life in Christ through repentance? You know, Paul paints a pretty incredible picture of what choosing to develop the habit of repentance looks like in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter three, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Watch what he says. Forgetting the past, letting go of the past, getting rid of the past, pushing away the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What Paul is saying is that if, if, we'll, if we'll forget about the past, if we'll let go of that old person that we're trying to hold on to, that, that God has something so much greater in store for us. But in order for us to grab a hold of that, we gotta first let go of the old way of living. It makes me think of the old South Indian monkey traps. Maybe you've heard of these. It's how you catch a monkey. You take a coconut, you hollow it out, you put a little hole in the bottom of it, you fill it with some rice or some peanuts, you hang it in the tree. And the monkey will come along and he'll see that hollowed out coconut and he'll look in and he'll notice there's a yummy treat in there, those rice or that, those peanuts or that rice. And he'll say, I want some of that. And so he'll reach in and grab a hold of it. But the second that he does, and he tries to pull out, he realizes the hole isn't big enough for me to get my hand back out when it's clenched into a fist. But the monkey's not very smart. Rather than letting go of the treat that's inside, he'll continue to hold on to it and allow the trappers to come and without very much effort on their part at all whatsoever to catch those monkeys one by one. The monkey could get away All he has to do is let go. But because he refuses to let go, he gets caught. That's how it is with us a lot of times. And I think that that's really what repentance is about. Repentance says, I'm gonna let go of doing doing things the, the way that I want to and start doing them God's way. Repentance says, I'm gonna let go of the sin in my life that leads to death, and instead I'm gonna take hold of the salvation from God that leads to life. Repentance says, I'm gonna let go of the old person that I used to be and who the devil says I am, and instead take hold 
of my new identity in Christ and who God in his word says I am. What are you going to do, Christ walk? What kind of person are you going to be in 2020? You're going to hold on to the old way of life and miss out on the heavenly reward that God has for you? Are you going to let go of the old way, step into repentance? Maybe you're here today and you've never truly repented for the sin that's in your life. You've come to the realization that you are a sinner in need of a savior. If that's you here this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna give you an opportunity to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin, to turn away, to step into the new life that God has for you today. If that's you, would you just make that known by, just put up your hand really quick, just put it up. Put it right back down. You don't have to leave it up. Is there anyone else? You're saying, God, I'm ready to step into a relationship with you. I'm ready to surrender doing things my way and start doing them yours. If that's you, would you pray this prayer along with me? It's gonna be on the screen behind me if you need it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. You know, maybe you prayed that prayer some time ago. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for years. But over the course of time, that old way of life has just been lingering. We need to remedy that today. We don't need to take one more step further into this new year, holding on to the old way of life that we used to live. Freedom is available in this place today. It's available for you if you'll simply surrender and let go. And I don't say this with any kind of condescension or condemnation, but there could be some people here this morning that need to repent. You need to turn away from the way that you've been living and you need to get your arrow pointed back in the direction of God. If that's you this morning, then as the band leads us in worship, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. These altars are open. Maybe you wanna come and stand or maybe you wanna come and kneel. However you'd like to respond, but I would love for the opportunity to pray for you that you would step out of regret step into repentance it's only by the love of Jesus through his grace that we're able to do that no one's going to look at you differently no one's going to, to point fingers at you and to be quite honest this isn't about anyone else 
anyways. This is about you and God and you leaving here this morning on a trajectory set up for success and health and growth in your relationship with Christ in the coming year. I just wanna invite everybody to stand. If that's you this morning, you'd say, Pastor Blake, I'm just stuck in this cycle of regret and I'm ready to step out of that. I'm ready to repent and to turn away so that I can leave this place in freedom today. If that's you, these altars are open. I invite you to come as the band leads us in worship. I'd love the opportunity to pray for you so that we can leave here different than you came in today. Let's worship together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.